All right, folks, welcome to Call and Shots, the, uh, one of the, the wrapping up the last business of the off-season edition, it seems like. Uh, joined today by uh, frequent guest Sarah Todd of the Desert News. Uh, I originally thought that we were going to be doing a, a, a three-person a three weave with, with our friend Fred Katz, but he had uh, something came up today, as happens in the news business. So uh, it'll be Sarah and I chatting today. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, I mean, the end of the off season, wrapping it up. I don't know. If, I don't know if I'd say that though. Oh, there, what? There's more to come. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I'm honestly, Seth. I really hope so. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, if there's not more to come before the season starts, then all of this like waiting and on pins and needles and checking my phone and networking and sourcing that I've been doing over this summer have been all for naught. So I, I would be very angry. I see. Well, the good news for you is the team you covered did something yesterday. Finally, they, yes, they did, a, they did. They did a thing. It, um, um, this I guess this this sort of came out of the blue. This has been, uh, um, I guess Patrick Beverly being traded. For those who don't know, Patrick Beverly was traded to the Lakers for Taylor Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson. Um, with all the focus on Donovan Mitchell. Um, this the, there hadn't been much buzz about anyone else in the jazz. It seemed like. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like a a little bit of buzz, but it was always like on the on the edges, and I think more so like the expectation is that okay, if you're going to make a trade with Donovan Mitchell and you're going to bring multiple players back, then you probably are going to have to clear some room. Maybe that means like waving Rudy Gay or waving somebody else or maybe doing some other trade. So like there was certainly going to be some other movement, but I don't think anyone expected that like the, the first domino to fall would be Patrick Beverly getting traded. Um, and then I guess what's even more surprising to me is that that move happened for the Lakers before a Westbrook move. And that that's a little bit strange to me too. I mean, I think we can psychoanalyze that part of it a little bit. Uh, maybe that this was, uh, given the history between the players, perhaps this is a little bit of a nudge in that direction in terms of, uh, hey, no, you really don't want to be here because uh, this guy, we just, I, you hate this guy we just traded for, but that's that's maybe a little too much psychologizing. Yeah, I mean, most mostly I guess I just wonder, like, if there's not a deal in place already to move Westbrook, like, do, I mean, don't the Lakers lose a lot of leverage by bringing in Patrick Beverly first? Perhaps, but it's not like that would be out of character for this Lakers regime. I would that's say. true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. But so, let's, so let's talk about this from the, the, the Jazz's side, though. I mean, I think yeah. Beverly getting traded isn't a surprise. I don't think that as soon as it was clear that the Jazz were going, in, you know, turning turning the roster over, basically. I don't think it's a surprise that a veteran, you know, playoff-tested player on an expiring contract was not long for, for Utah. Yeah. What, I mean, there are there's still a, like, large part of the fan base that, like, believes that the Jazz are going to still build around Donovan Mitchell, which... Like, through, I mean, trying to explain, like, how it's just not going to work that way, and all of my attempts to do that, like, there are still people who think that's the that's the best route, that's what they want, and that's what they think is going to happen, and so, like, I feel like this was kind of a little bit of a, a shot for them to say, like, 
if they were going to try to win right now, then why would they get rid of like the ultimate win now playoff like energizer guy on the team that they just got in a trade for two guys that are kind of like a flyer and maybe a development project. And so like for, I think for a lot of people, this is kind of like the solidified sign that like the jazz are going to be heading towards a rebuild. And especially since the player in question, Pat Beverly, like, um, boy, that he, like what he brings would have been pretty useful in the last couple playoff runs in terms of, of perimeter and point of attack defense. Yeah, exactly. Like if, the Jazz were down two starters after getting rid of, I know, Rudy Gobert and Royce O'Neal in trades earlier in the offseason. And those are like, those were the two best defenders by a large margin on the Jazz team. And so, like, they need defense if they're going to actually, like, play at any sort of realistic level. And Patrick Beverly actually absolutely would have been, you know, an injection of that into the lineup. But, uh, I mean, I have been of a firm belief, like before they ever traded Gobert, like it just that they needed to head into a rebuild, anyways. And so, I'm glad that I'm glad that maybe the fan base is going to start seeing that this is going to come to realization. I, I feel like the last time we talked, which was I think right around the start of the playoffs, maybe we've talked since then, but I don't remember. It's all time is a flat circle. But right. <laughs> you you were of the opinion that that you wouldn't have been surprised if everybody or nobody was back between Quinn Snyder, Rudy Gobert, and Donovan Mitchell. Obviously, at this part, at this point, two of the three have departed, and the third seems to some degree imminent. Right. Um, so, for, first question before we kind of get back to the specifics of this trade and then talk more about the Mitchell in the future, like, what has happened in the interim to get us there? Yeah, I, I think the the first, like, real sign that, this was heading in a completely different direction was Quinn Snyder stepping down, you know? And I think looking back on it now, it's just like such a incredibly savvy move, but also like very good for Quinn because I think that he was just really emotionally beat up about the previous two seasons before even losing to the Mavericks. I'm talking about losing to the Nuggets in the bubble and then losing to the Clippers. Like I think it really took a lot out of him because and I have to believe that because it's not like Quinn Snyder leaving was about money. Like the, the jazz were willing to make him one of like the top three paid coaches in the league. Like they, they had a deal that was ready for him an extension. And, and instead of taking that, he walked away from the jazz, probably knowing that they were going to be heading in a different direction. And I don't think that he wanted to do another rebuild. And in doing so, he still left the situation like incredibly well respected. He has a lot of like coaching capital, right? So if he ever wants to come back, the door is so wide open throughout the NBA that he could probably get his pick of jobs uh, when he decides that. And so when that happened, I was like, okay, like I just felt like the the other pieces were going to fall into place after that. And surely enough, like the Gobert trade. And I think that was probably important to get that one done first because, and really smart by Ainge. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if it's really smart because it kind of hamstrings the rest of the league and even Ainge in the return that he can get for Mitchell or anyone else can get for anyone else. But like, 
max to the absolute value he could get in a trade for Rudy Gobert. And when you get that number of picks and that number of first round picks back, um, then it gives you like a really nice starting place to do a rebuild. Because before that, they were kind of like, they didn't have assets, they didn't have money to work with. And so it, it had to be something big to say like, okay, we can start making a plan for the future. And then that brings us to now where it's, you know, you can start shedding some of the other veterans on the team and make room for a trade that sends Mitchell elsewhere. Is it, is it plausible that we are, they were in a situation where they're kind of, you know, see what's out there. And if the, if the right moves are out there, we'll go one way or the other. And then an offer like this comes in. It's like, well, that's our decision made. I think it's possible. I think, I think that that's probably, I think it's a little bit possible, but I also think that the writing was kind of on the wall already. Um, I mean, it was clear that like the Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell team was not going to win. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and like, that was clear for a while, but it got to a point where like, if they were going to run it back one more time, it was like, it would just openly and loudly signal like, Hey, we're, we're okay with mediocrity. Right. And I just, I don't think that Ryan Smith was okay with that. And if you bring in Danny Ainge, I don't think that you bring him in to be okay with mediocrity. And so that actually in hindsight is probably more of a, a telling thing than it, it seemed like when, when Ryan Smith hired Danny Ainge, because at the time I think me and a lot of other people thought, Oh, Ryan Smith is hiring his golf buddy to be in a position where he's not really doing day to day stuff. And that's kind of like the way they sold it. Like, Oh, Danny's going to be more big picture. He's not going to be like all day to day stuff. Like Justin Zanuck's still general manager. Um, and it was like, you know, Danny stepped down from his nearly 20 year role in Boston. He's not really, he doesn't really want to be in that again. And, and so that led me to think like, well, I don't think Ryan Smith actually has the balls to kind of like dig up this team and like throw it out and start over again. Like I, I fully did not uh, think that he was going to do it, especially with the all-star game coming up in Salt Lake. And, um, but then it turns out like, you know, you don't bring in Danny Ainge to like not do things. (laughs) (laughs) The, the old, the, the odd thing to me, just like maybe it's easier to reconstruct this, uh, from the past than it was, than it may have been at the time. But, you know, there seemed like, you know, heading into the draft and, and the, the, there was the, the reporting that was out there seemed to be that the jazz were sending signals that they weren't really listening to offers on, on, on Donovan Mitchell. And the only reason that's, that's weird is if they were way down the road with, with discussions about Rudy Gobert, that, that strikes me as odd because it seems like teams would have the most flexibility like right up before the draft rather than, right. than after. So, um, you know, was that just, was it just there weren't, wasn't anything close or had did they really not decide to go that way until this, until, you know, kind of the, the you know, we, the, the term Godfather offer gets thrown around a lot, but I mean, I think this, the, the Gobert trade, whatever you think of it from Minnesota side, I think it sets the bar on what the offer you can't refuse is. I also think that optics are really important 
in something like this too, right? Like if you, if you weren't going to get the offer that you wanted for Mitchell, like you, his temperament is so that you don't want to really piss him off because he's like very reactionary and like, uh, it's like kind of, I wouldn't say hotheaded cause like, it's not like he gets like malicious, but like he, he reacts very quickly and has a, like a little bit of a temper. And so you, I don't think I didn't expect for like the jazz front office to come out and say like, we are absolutely listening because we think we might want to trade Donovan. Right. Like those things are reported as you know, because they, the people who are leaking the information want them to be reported. And so I don't think anybody wanted it to be reported that they were like listening to offers on Donovan Mitchell, but like, of course they were. Okay. So and that, so, was, that was a little bit of a smokescreen from from them at the time, and if the, I think so, but if the Gobert trade had happened first, then that then then kind of the the mask would have been off a little bit. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um. So now that trade happens, obviously, you know, just to make salaries work, there are, there there are, are players coming back, not just draft picks, including Patrick Beverly, um, who is probably the most obvious player to get to to get moved, and now he has. Um, there's two parts of this and then the two parts combining that are really interesting to me. And I'm wondering if you have insight into the the thought process, um, the timing, um, you know, this is oftentimes the, the veteran playoff guy on an expiring, that's a, that's a trade deadline move. Right. And then, uh, for, not for picks, but for a, for a player who is under a not insignificant contract for the next couple of years. Um, so and then the two of those together, like if you end up, again, if you end up at, at the trade deadline and Taylor Horton Tucker is your best offer, okay. It's just the trading for Taylor Horton Tucker now at, and not anything else is, is interesting. And so just wondering, you know, what, what insight you have into the thought process there. Yeah, I'm, I was trying to like think about this a lot on my own last night, just right as the news came out. Um and trying to figure out like what's the play here, right? And I think that that really the play is like Patrick Beverly was lobbying <laughs> to not play on a not winning Utah team, like from the moment he was traded. Like he was very like openly, publicly like tweeting prayer hand emojis about a Lakers versus Clippers matchup to start the season. Um, and, and so you kind of do that guy a little bit of a solid, send him somewhere that he's going to be happy. And meanwhile, I think the, at the same time, like the Taylor Horton Tucker situation in LA was like, so incredibly mismanaged (laughs) and like, um, it's like they, they overvalued him and then underdeveloped him and then also like put him in a horrible position because they added Russell Westbrook to the roster. And so I think from Utah's perspective, it's like, okay, this guy's still just 21 years old. And like, we're going to be, you know, going through our own thing for the next couple of years, at least probably. And so maybe we just like take on this guy. And if it doesn't work out, then like the, the contract's not long. Right. 
but we can bring him into a system and like try to develop him in a situation where like he can have the ball in his hands and he's not surrounded by guys like LeBron and Westbrook. And then I think it's kind of a little bit of a perk then that Stanley Johnson is thrown in because it's like, Oh, here's a young guy who's like, hasn't lived up to like his number eight billing when he was drafted. Right. But I think was, has surprisingly shown like really good, like on ball perimeter defense chops, especially like near the end of last year with the Lakers. And so I think it's more just like, let's see what we can do with this because Patrick Beverly wasn't like the huge chip that we were going to be moving. Also, you can't aggregate his salaries until September 6th. And so like just moving him on his own and being able to get something in return. So I think it's just like, maybe there could have been like bigger, better moves to make like at a trade deadline deal. But I think that, I think this works out for everyone. The opportunity, the opportunity cost of not having six months of misery with Patrick Beverly wanting to be somewhere else. Exactly. Plus, plus you know, you know, is yeah, another way to put it might be is like, okay, would we rather take a, take a couple year shot on a 21 year old Taylor Horton Tucker or wait till 2025 for a draft pick that is probably going to be predicted and might turn to second rounders or whatever else that is. Yeah. Right. And it's, yeah, it's yeah. not like they're going to be like short on like future draft picks once they, <laughs> once they move guys like Donovan and Boyan. Right. Right. And so, um, and, and this is going to be a, uh, certainly an environment for, you know, it, a lot of Horton Tucker's best skills are on ball where he's going to get, he's going to get plenty of chances. It seems like. Right. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I can like it while I was initially like surprised by, like I said, the timing and the package, I think that, that sort of, I came around to a similar thought process that you just described in that, in that maybe I, maybe I would or wouldn't have, have, have done it, but it certainly makes sense when explained that way. Yeah. And I also think, you know, I think that it's probably just like important right now because we don't know like what kind of deals the jazz are going to be able to make between like now in the trade deadline and like maybe they don't know exactly all of the deals that are going to be presented or available to them. And, but they do know that they'll be able to get like draft assets for some of the bigger pieces that they're moving. And so also part of it is like, we do need younger people. Cause right now, like there's a lot of old guys still on this jazz team, right? <laughs> like it's like Mike Conley, Boyan, uh, Rudy Gay. Like these are, these are people who like, you you need some youth on the roster, like no matter what's going to happen over the next couple of years, like you just need young guys who like, you know, for better or worse could turn into something, but are also going to lose some games. Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, trading in Patrick Beverly for like a 21 and a 26 year old, you know, that, that achieves that a little bit. A 21 year old who will presumably take lots of shots at mediocre efficiency. Exactly. <laughs> which, as which, as you suggest, there's a you know a French center who is is uh, is uh, drawing a lot of interest. Who, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, a lot of and, a lot of shots that are going to be blocked. <laughs> yeah. Have and like and for, for those who haven't seen like probably at this point anyone listening to this pod has probably heard of it, Victor Wembanyama, but like the film on him looks like if you could if you like were able to colorize. Like 
Kareem uh, Luel Sanders high school tape. That's kind right. of what it looks like. So I like don't want to like hype the guy up too much, but this is one of the more intriguing prospects in, in probably since Luca. Probably the most intriguing prospect since Luca. And right, and further. I mean, and uh, I I think Wemby, as he has affectionately been called in the NBA circles now, like him plus, I mean, there's a lot of other like top level like draft talent that is expected for 2023, and but mostly Victor, right? <laughs> I I think that that is probably the reason that I believe the most that it, like a Donovan Mitchell deal will be made before training camp because if any team that is going for a high 2023 pick doesn't want to win games. So like having Donovan Mitchell on the roster, like anywhere near the trade deadline is like not good for a team that wants to try to get Victor. Sure. So that, that, I guess that that's a perfect segue into um, it seems like there's been swirling discussion, swirling reports around exactly what the, what the the state of play on Donovan Mitchell is. So as far as you are able to report and discuss, like kind of who's involved, how close is anything to happening, what kinds of, of, of returns are they expecting and looking for? What's what, what's the what's the scoop? Yeah, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, like you kind of have to think about what like which sides the reporting is coming out of and and you have to think about it in terms of like these people want these things to be reported right like it's not like Woj and Shams are like sitting in they're they're not you know it's like 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 they're deep throat you know like it's not like they're meeting in parking garages and waiting to hear overhear something said and then they like secretly go and type it up like they're specifically called for a reason, right? And that that's the same for, like, any reporters, like, as you go down the line as, like, to local beat reporters like myself. Like, and so you you hear things like, um, you know, the, the Jazz definitely want R.J. Barrett or the Jazz, you know, originally asked for seven picks. And then you hear from the other side, like, well, the, the Jazz could also just, like, go into the season and keep Donovan. They're fine with that. And there's no urgency. And so the truth is probably like somewhere in the middle of that, right? Like maybe New York is, you know, leaking some of this stuff because they don't want it to like, once they do make the deal, they see, we didn't give up RJ or see, we didn't give up seven picks. And then from the jazz's side, it's like, see, we could have hold on, held on, but like we, we got five picks. And, and so I think that the truth is somewhere in the middle. And I think that a deal is probably closer than it feels like it is because I think that, there have been more conversations than a lot of us have been led to believe. Like it's, I don't think that this is a situation where like sides talked once at summer league. And then once again, a month later, like these are ongoing conversations. Sure. Now these are, these are probably daily check-ins, maybe, yes. maybe multiple times a day. Um, is there, is there anyone else that you think is, is, is legit? I think we, we saw uh, Shams had, had hinted at there were other teams possibly involved. Is that is that kind of more smoke to well you better you better make your best offer now because there's the who who knows what the team X is gonna do. I mean I I know that there has been interest from other teams. I know that um like Charlotte, uh Toronto, Washington, uh Miami, like at 
at some point during the dealings that like those teams have shown interest. I don't know how, how serious those are compared to New York. Um, but it's not, it's again, it's not like no one is, it's not like executives around the league are like, Oh, well, New York's going to get Mitchell. We just like won't call. So like these guys talk all the time. And so certainly there's interest in a player like Donovan Mitchell. Uh, I think it depends on like what kind of a package can be put together. And I think also like it's possible this isn't just like a straight up two team deal. It's possible to get another team involved too. And I mean, I, I personally think that that might be like best uh, depending on what kind of package can be put together. Cause if you're looking to get like picks, you're looking for quality necessarily over quantity, I think, because if, if you're wanting like high level picks, then like a team with Donovan Mitchell on it in the Eastern conference is probably going to make the playoffs. And so then like, how good are those picks that you're getting for the next few years? And so I think that it would probably behoove all sides to get another team involved. Um, but again, we're at wait and see with that. What is, is, you know, in terms of this, what is, is Mitchell's own role in this? I mean, you know, one of the teams you mentioned kind of jumped right out to me is, is like, like, oh, he don't want to go to Charlotte. Um, right. But, you know, it's, it's also like how he, the level of direct control he'd have over something like that is, is basically nil, but the amount of effective control, as we've seen, you know, with with players kind of being very clear about where they do and don't want to go. So how active a participant is, is Donovan Mitchell in this process? That's actually not something that I'm I'm totally sure about. I think that uh, if there if there is sort of an active participant as far as Mitchell's concerned, I think that that's been kept pretty quiet. Um, I haven't really seen it reported anywhere that he, I mean, it's obvious that we know what his preference is. Right. (laughs) And so I'm sure that that has been voiced and, or doesn't even need to be, but at the same time, like, I think that's one of the reasons that like you have a guy like Danny Ainge in place where that the shrewdness that is brought by him can like outweigh anything else. So it's, you can kind of, you can keep that, those discussions behind closed doors a little bit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think that there's some sort of like, uh, some of the discussions are internal gauges of whether like, like if, again, if Charlotte made a, made an offer like Minnesota made for Gobert, I think that gets done tomorrow. Oh yeah. Regardless of what Mitchell himself wants. But I think that there's probably some gray area. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of in general, like the overarching feeling that they probably have is like the best deal will win out, right? Like we are going to take the best deal. Um, But I'm sure that there's like a hint, hint, nudge, nudge from like everybody involved that's like, hey, you should probably make the best deal in New York, right? (laughs) Um, Because then everyone's happier. Everyone ends up happy. No, they play on Christmas Day. I don't know. I'm not sure if it's yeah. right, but the Knicks, Knicks play on Christmas Day. Well, yeah. Not that that should have any any bearing on any of this. Yeah, and then uh, how close uh, to the trade deadline is the Knicks versus the Jazz matchup? In Utah? Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah. When, when, when do the Knicks play in Utah? Uh, let's see. I've actually... I uh, Of course, I wrote about this and have forgotten the actual date. Well, that's how it works. You write about it and it's just... It's flushed. Yeah, it leaves my brain. All right. It is on... Uh, oh, it's November 15th is the one in Utah. And so then it's pretty, it, it's pretty early in the year. It is pretty early. So that would get, I mean, that, that has the potential to get spicy if it happens, if it happens early in the season, I would think. If, assuming the trade, if, if, if the trade happens before the season, like that's, that is not, does not take a long memory for there to be some, some bad feelings, I would think. Oh no. And I mean, I think that's completely on purpose. So, I mean, I don't know if other people in other markets know this, but like, so the jazz had like 26 national TV games on the schedule last season. And this season they have four. So like, clearly everyone is expecting them to like suck really bad. And, but the, they don't have any ESPN or ABC games. And the one TNT game they have is that November 15th matchup between the Knicks and the jazz. Hmm. So, uh, yeah. So, so influence perhaps is being brought to bear from perhaps more than just the team and player side. Oh, Not absolutely. That we were, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, is you know, with, with with camps and stuff starting soon. I mean, is this is this something you're expecting, like in the next week, in the next month? Like what like what time frame do you really think we're working on here? Yeah, like I said, I mean. I wouldn't be shocked if this happened like this coming week, right? Like it, it wouldn't shock me if it happened this week. It wouldn't shock me if it happened like September 20th, like right before camp starts. I mean, the, the only piece of it that I feel like would happen sooner rather than later is that I feel like everyone knows that like Donovan Mitchell is going to go somewhere else and that like, everyone is understanding that like the most likely destination is going to be New York. And so it's not like, and also it's not like Donovan Mitchell, like needs to like know where he is going to end up before then to prepare for a season. Like, you know what I mean? Like training camp starts and like, he'll be ready to go. But for guys like Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson, some of the other guys that are on the team that they're probably going to shed uh, not only to like, you know, completely make a rebuilding team, but also to like gain assets, get money off the books, etc. Like, I think that those moves need to be made because as we get closer to training camp actually starting, like, l- there are going to be fewer teams that have the spots or haven't made the deals that they want to make heading into the season, and so I think that like because there is a number of other moves that have to be made after or in conjunction with Donovan that I expect it sooner rather than later. At the same time though, like the good thing on Utah's side is that they have, they do have a leverage point of like not needing to do it quickly. It's the other teams who want these players that would want to get it done quickly. Sure. Thinking about the Knicks and and them having uh, almost a, if if they did trade for 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 Mitchell, it's probably some significant pieces going out and having, you know, moved moved heaven and earth to sign Jalen Brunson this summer. Um, right. Like training camp isn't the start of training camp. I mean, right. Some it's like 
you know, we're starting to get to the point where players are kind of getting back into facilities for quote unquote open run, which right. are sort of lightly supervised workouts. Unofficial practices. Yeah, unofficial <laughs> practices. Yeah. Lightly yeah. supervised, perhaps with lightly and scare quotes. Yeah. Uh, and, and knowing who New York, New York's coach is, like, I would think that that would be like, no, I kind of want my team. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like I said, not not just Donovan, it's going to be the other pieces involved, how they're going to shape rosters once they make those moves, and then like the teams who are going to want to bring in guys like Boyan or a team who might want to bring on someone like Conley. Like the, those those early runs and early workouts, those other teams and New York are going to want those things in place sooner rather than later. And and that's why I think like Utah has the leverage of waiting out because they're like, well, we don't really care what guys look like in training camp. <laughs> <laughs> um, are are those other kind of the, the other veterans who, who we would think would get moved? Are those, is your sense that those discussions are just on pause until, until the Mitchell Mitchell situation is resolved or is it possible we see, I mean, the, the one, the player who I think is, has most possible impact, you know, somewhere else is Bogdanovich. Right. Is it, is it possible we see him, move before Mitchell? I mean, I, I, I think there is kind of like an unofficial pause with those um, because the, the signaling, I think, which is like kind of what I was mentioning a little bit earlier with Westbrook is like the signaling. If you, if you move Bogdanovich and Conley, then like all the cards are on the table sure. at that point. Uh, and so right now they kind of have a, a little bit of like high ground. And so I Certainly, nobody believes it. Right. That, yeah, that's the thing. It's like <laughs> the optics are only good for who? Like, who are the optics good for? Um, but no matter who they're good for, I, I think that there is like a little season ticket bit. sales. Yeah. They're good for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jordan Clarkson has been the Jazz's like advertisement, like guinea pig all off season when they did the rebrand and like dropped the. Uh, the new jerseys and everything like they used him in all of the promotional material, like Jordan Clarkson's face is front and center, like on banners around the arena right now. Um, uh, you didn't see Donovan Mitchell in their like promotional material for their new jerseys. So, um, they, they have to hold on to something so that they can kind of line up like some of their revenue ducks. <laughs> I mean that's that 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 in itself is odd. That's that's maybe not the best poker hand anyone's ever played. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there was like, there's been a few like fumbles from the Jazz, uh, kind of on the business side a little bit over the off season. Like uh, they were having a sale at the team store, and Donovan Mitchell's jersey was on the former players rack. Ooh. <laughs> and. Uh, just some of their like promotional videos and stuff that they've brought out haven't gone well. I mean, the rebrand didn't go well. And again, it was like the big feature was Jordan Clarkson. And so it's just been a little bit too obvious. Uh, would you like to comment on, on the, the rebrand and the, and the jerseys in particular, or the less said, the better? Oh, no, I'm fine on commenting on it. I'm, I saw Ryan Smith at a, a soccer game at an RSL game here in Utah and, uh, right after it had dropped, and he was like, "Which is okay. appropriate because uh, they look like goalie jerseys." <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Okay, like, you know, honest opinion." And I was like, "Honestly, like, I'm I'm not as mad as other people are about the yellow. 
uh, when it comes to like the black and yellow. I actually think that like, especially for the younger demographic that NBA teams are going after, that's really going to appeal to them. Um, but the, the white and highlighter yellow looks like absolute garbage and trash. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, at least, I mean, at least they have someone to sell a bunch of them. Well, wait, no, no. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, it seems it's funny because it seems like a confusing situation, but, but I mean, the way you've laid it out, it seems it's, it's, it now seems very straightforward, almost linear. Um, so like, I guess the main intrigue is, is like, are they interested more in young players or picks? And and it seems like from the reporting that, um, who knows whether this is true or not, that like RJ Barrett is not someone who interests them a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, I think it's clear that they're really interested in Grimes, um, and I mean, for good reason, and and for good reason, I think that New York is trying to hold on to him, and so it's like, okay, well, I think that's where the negotiating is. It's like, okay, if you want to hold on to like the sort of the the actual like um, player, then like, what are the picks that you're going to give us, and how good can they be, and what kind of protections can be put on them, and et cetera, et cetera. Um. But I mean, the, the intrigue to me is like, I think that we'll probably find out like pro- very close, if not like moments before or during the trade when it's announced or when the news comes out is because I think the Jazz right now are at either 14 or 15 players on the roster. And so in order to have, you know, multiple players, which I'm sure is going to happen, come in, then they'll have to like get rid of multiple players and... Uh, if that's some of the other young pieces, if they're bringing in young pieces, or if that happens in conjunction with, like we said, if like if it's Bogdanovich or Clarkson or Conley, um, and so I, I'm I'm interested to see just like who comes in and who goes out. <laughs> I, I think that's another reason to to do it early is you actually can you you can you can use kind of the expanded off season rosters for a little bit to to see if you can do other things to not have to, I mean, I guess the, the, from a salary cap standpoint, that's not going to matter for the right. <laughs> right. But just from a, from a sort of a contracts and moving money around standpoint, that would be, that would be another reason to do it early is yeah. having a little bit of time to make those decisions and maybe even go into camp with like some, some real roster spot battles. Yeah. And I mean, I think that there's going to be a little bit of that. I mean, it's probably not intriguing to anyone else like outside of Utah, but like um, Doka Azubuke and like Walker Kessler are, that's probably going to be like, who's going to get the starting center position and like, which sounds completely bleak from like a, a regular perspective, but like, you know, as the B reporter and also like a hoops junkie, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready for some roster battles from people. And so that's really interesting. And I, and it's a little, another nugget of this is that it's Will Hardy's first season as a head coach. And so like, he doesn't probably want to wait until, you know, September 26th. How much does he know what he signed up for? I mean, he, he kind of, when he got the job, he had to have been, yep, this is what's going to happen. I, I mean, I think absolutely. Which, which is why when, we're talking about like, you know, how much of like the Rudy Gobert thing was like, Oh, we we don't, we could go in either direction or, you know, 
we can just, oh, this is a great deal. I guess that chooses the direction. I think that like, I think pretty much it was probably decided all much before because when they were doing the coaching search, like that has to be a conversation you're telling guys that you're interviewing. Like, this is what we're heading towards. Well, they're certainly asking about it, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, and then for Will Hardy, I mean, I don't, I don't think that he was in a position where like he, if he didn't like where things were going, he would have been disappointed to just stay on in Boston. Like he had a, a great year in Boston and like, clearly that like drove his coaching capital up being there. And so a hundred percent, I think that was part of the conversation. Like, this is what it's going to look like. Like, are you going to be okay with this? This is what you're signing up for. And on the, on the other side, like, okay, so, uh, what per, what what do we have put in writing that ensures that I get a fair shake here if we're going a certain way? My records got, I'm gonna I'm gonna win forty games my first two years, right? And and, and like just so it's understood that you did that, I didn't, <laughs> right? Sort and of I that, think how that conversation goes. And I think that the jazz, like certainly that that was a part of the conversation, and they I, they gave him a lengthy contract, and then also, you know, the Jazz are, you know, since being in Utah, like historically keep coaches for a long time. And, and so I don't think that they were looking for someone where it would have been like, Oh, we'll just have them for a couple of the lo- losing seasons and then get someone else. Like they were looking for someone who was going to like grow through the rebuild and stay. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, is there anything else that, uh, that, you know, aside from the, the barn burner of a starting center battle? Which, you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but the Udoka Azabuki's most famous for not being Desmond Bain, I think. I uh, know, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but other than that, like, is, is it, it, we're just sort of wait and see, and and uh, you're you're kind of uh, how much are you trying to trying to line up like stories for the course of the year, knowing it's going to be a very different season than the ones you've covered more recently. I mean, uh, a little bit, but. I mean, mostly at this point, I'm trying to like line up how the rest of this off season is going to go because like I put off, uh, like my big vacation until like mid September, hoping that everything would be wrapped up by then. And now we're nearing September 6th, which is when I fly to the UK. And so I'm just like trying to line up stories and hope that it gets wrapped up before then, because I mean, I honestly didn't think that it was going to go on this long. And so now I'm like, okay, well, now I might like not even be in the country or haven't like my work laptop with me, like when Donovan Mitchell is traded. And so I'm just, maybe my hopefulness that they're going to do something sooner rather than later is purely (laughs) selfish. And I'm just trying to like put it out into the universe. No, you've just guaranteed the trade happens on September 7th. Oh, I know. I know. I'm I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to put in a call. With uh, with Justin Zanuck and just be like, hey man, uh, let's let's pretend that September five is a deadline yeah. here. <laughs> Help your girl out a little bit here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, in the interest of of letting you, uh, you know, stew on the, these these possibilities for for a couple weeks longer, anything else we we should touch on, or should uh, uh, perhaps chat again after things go down and you're done with your vacation. Yeah, uh, I think chatting again after things go down is is going to be a lot more interesting. And right now, I'm just in absolute wait and see mode, as everyone else is. Well, it's it's the uh, it's the last bit of business left in the off season, so uh, 
Utah, Utah is the focus of the league for for once. So um, <laughs> yeah. enjoy, I guess. Um, yeah, sure. Hey, I uh, I watched uh, I watched a oh, movie. What movie did you watch? Uh, not who, one. For those who haven't listened, Sarah has famously never watched a movie until I've <laughs> assigned her movies to watch every time she's come on the show. So yeah, I. Uh... I watched a couple of movies, none that were on a list that you gave me. Although I do have those legit written down now after many times of you telling me, I actually have them noted. Um, but I watched Gladiator. Yes. Um, which turns out is a very good movie. <laughs> and uh, I really, really liked it. And I I cried <laughs> while watching it. And um and of course, like then everyone in my life who knows that I don't watch movies is like, yes, Sarah, yeah, Gladiator is a good movie. Like everyone's been saying that for what almost thirty years now. So, congratulations. Um, and then I accidentally recently watched the new Predator movie that's Ooh. on Hulu. Ooh! But I've never seen any Alien or Predator movies. <laughs> I have not seen that one yet. How was it? Uh, it was excellent. I, having never seen any of the Alien Predator or Alien vs. Predator or any of those movies at all, this, as a standalone, was absolutely great. I think it's called Prey. Um, P-R-E-Y. Prey. Sorry. And um, it it was totally excellent. It ruled. I liked it. Okay. Well, then, uh, so the, the movies I've assigned, Sarah, for, for those who care, are, I believe... Uh, the third man, master and commander, and what was the third one? Um, uh, Tombstone. Tombstone, yes. Yeah, and I guess we we should add Predator to that list. It's yeah, almost like I have a type when it comes to movies. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because I don't know anything about the movies yeah. that you told me to watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully uh, after this, you, you you know you'll have time on these flights during which trades are happening to actually watch one or more of these movies. So exactly. After yeah. we can discuss them, we'll be able to discuss the, the films as well. So I look forward to that. Perfect. Sounds yeah. great. Uh, Sarah Todd of the Desert News, thank you as always for joining. Thanks, folks, for listening. I am back on Monday with uh, Cade Massey, a professor of economics at uh, the Wharton School of Business, uh, University of Pennsylvania, and one of the hosts of the, of the very uh, fine Wharton Moneyball podcast. So I'm really looking forward to that one and speak to you on Monday afternoon.